We're continuing our study in the book of John, if you're visiting with us maybe for the first time. We've hit, uh, and I shall be looking at, uh, again, some text in John chapter 5. And if you see in your outline there, it, uh, what I'll be sharing is really about Jesus defining himself for those around him. It's important that we as a people understand who we are. It is important that Jesus understood and then communicated real clearly who he was. Because the reality is those two factors actually go together. Which is to say, if we do not know really who Jesus is. And if we don't understand really all that Jesus did and accomplished, we'll never know who we are. We will spend our lives looking for meaning in all the wrong places. So we come to this text in John chapter 5, and I felt like it might be worthwhile taking just a few minutes of time and going back to the beginning. In the beginning of John chapter 1 was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word uh, was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. It would take years for us to genuinely understand the full impact of that one verse. You see, followers of Jesus are called into a vital relationship with God, and this requires that we know the one whom he has sent and what that person did in his fullness uh, in order that we might know who we are. So I'm going to walk through John chapter 1. We see then that the Word of God that preexisted took on human form in a person that we came to know as Jesus. And the Scripture tells us that in this person, in Jesus, was life. And that this life that he had became the light of every man. Who received him. In John chapter 2, we see that Jesus miraculously turned water into wine. Again, an indication of who this Jesus was. Rarely have men upon the earth changed anything into something else. Certainly not water into wine. A little bit further in John chapter 2, we find that Jesus goes into the temple and cleanses the temple of those who were making the life that he came to give from the Father into a trivialized religious experience. And he ran them out of the temple and said things like, tear this place down and I'll raise it up in three days. 
and they scratch their head in wonderment. Who is this Jesus who was with God, who was God, who became flesh, who turned water into wine, who ran the religious people out of the temple because they were prostituting the truth of God? In John chapter 3, we see that Jesus then speaks to a man who came to visit him at night by the name of Nicodemus. And Jesus said to him, it's not good enough for you to be one of the highest religious leaders in the land. That will get you nothing. You must be born again. Born from something beyond yourself. Born again from on high by the very spirit of my Father. If you don't have that, Nicodemus, you have nothing and you can't even see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, and we'll look at these words, truly, truly, I say to you, or more specifically, most certainly, I say to you, unless you're born of, the, of water in natural birth and the spirit in supernatural birth, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. John chapter 4, Jesus is leaving Galilee and He's traveling through Samaria, or leaving Judea, traveling through Samaria, going back to Galilee, and he interacts with a woman. And in interacting with this woman, he said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was sitting on this well asking for you, from you a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see, what I'm showing you is the context that this Jesus was very different than us. This Jesus was very unique. This Jesus was actually God himself. In John chapter 4, we didn't look at the text where a nobleman came to Jesus and begged Jesus to heal his son. We didn't skip it on purpose. We just can't hit everything or we'd be here till Jesus comes looking at John. <laughs> you see, the nobleman begged Jesus to heal his son, and he said, Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. By simply speaking that word to the nobleman, we're told a little later in that text of John chapter 4 that at that same hour, his son was healed. Born of the Spirit from on high, changing water into wine, healing the people around him, we then come to John chapter 5, and the first thing we read about is a man who was healed at the pool of Bethsaida, and Jesus simply said to him, get up and take your bed and walk. And lo and behold, he got up and took his bed and started walking with it. Well, that caused lots of problems. And in fact, in John chapter 4, you see that it gets back uh, to 
the Jews, John chapter 5, verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. And then I believe we come to what is the interpretive key that unlocks all of the statements in John chapter 5. It's found in verse 18 of John chapter 5. It says, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, Jesus, for two reasons. Number one, he broke the Sabbath. He healed the guy by the pool on the Sabbath day. Get up and walk, carry your mat. Well, that's not allowed on the Sabbath. So the Jews, when they heard that Jesus had done this, then began to, uh, they wanted to kill him because he broke the Sabbath, but also that he was uh, making himself equal to God, making, uh, saying that God was his father. They tried to kill him for two reasons. Jesus did these miraculous things on the Sabbath day, and secondly, he was making himself equal with God. That's the interpretive key to all that we've read in John chapter 5 and all that we'll look at this morning. Jesus was defining himself for them. Who is this man who opens blind eyes? Who is this man that turns water into wine? Who is this man who takes the cripple and tells him to get up and walk and take his mat? Who is this man that cleared the temple? It's the same question that you and I have today. Who is this man? And I believe the church, probably in every age, but certainly in the age in which we live, has a significant amount of confusion about who this man is, who this man Jesus really is. And beloved, what I said earlier is if we do not understand who Jesus is, if we do not understand what Jesus accomplished, we'll never understand our relationship with him. We'll never understand our identity. And some of us, statistically speaking, are still floundering because we're trying to figure out who we are. Until we come to rest fully in that person, who he is and what he did, we'll never understand who we are. Well, verse 18 then is the key to understand who this Jesus is. He was making himself out to be equal with God. That's the key. So Jesus then, in John chapter 5, looking at verse um, 19, Jesus said things like, the son does nothing except what he sees the father doing. Making himself equal to God. You see, what Jesus was saying there is when the father works, that's when I work. If you see me working, you're seeing the father working. You see how verse 18 explains what Jesus was saying about himself. Verse 20, the Father shows the Son all things. You see, Jesus beheld the Father unlike anyone at that point in time. Uh, there, Jesus was experiencing open revelation uh, from the Father, and when he heard the Father say something, when he saw the Father do something, that's when Jesus spoke and that's when Jesus acted. Jesus was making himself out to be God. 
Verse 21 says this, for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. You see what Jesus was saying there is simply that the father raises the dead and gives them life, so does Jesus. Both raise the dead and give them life. Who is this Jesus that can raise men from the dead? If you wind forward to John chapter 11, you see Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus and saying, come forth. And echoing throughout the chambers of eternity, that man Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, came out bound in grave clothes. That's a tough one to do, unless you're God. Verse 22, the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. You see, there's equal judgment. There's equal life. There's open revelation. And then finally, we get to verse 23. Honor the Son as you honor the Father. Verse 23 says that... uh, The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son doesn't honor the Father. You see why verse 18 is the interpretive key? He, Jesus, was making himself out to be God because he was defining himself as God. If someone were to ask you today, how do you know that Jesus was divine, the divinity of Jesus. How would you tell people who Jesus is? If you overlook chapter five of John's gospel, you've missed a major portion because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you hear me, you've heard the Father. If you watch what I do, I do the same work that he does. If you watch what I do, it's because the Father is doing it. There's open revelation. There's equal life being given. There's equal judgment being shared. There's equal honor being given. And now we come to verse 24, and this is where my outline starts, and I'm simply going to share a few principles here. Let me read verse 24. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Let me just pause at this little word most assuredly. If you're reading the King James, it says verily, verily. If you're reading the New International Version, I'm not sure what it says. Um, The Amplified, I think, says truly, truly. Uh, what does your version say, sweetie? <laughs> truly, truly. Verily, verily, most assuredly. The Greek is amen, amen. We pray in the name of Jesus and conclude by saying amen. The Greek simply says amen, amen. You see, and what, what that means is that Jesus was saying, when we say amen at the end of our prayer, that translates into so be it, most certainly, 
truly, truly, we ought not be praying any prayers unless we can say with certainty, this is what God is communicating. And then at the end, we say, amen, amen. Jesus was saying, most assuredly, I say to you, he who, and if you're filling in your little blanks here, hearing Jesus's words and believing the Father are identical. That's what got Jesus in trouble. Not just that he healed on the Sabbath, but that he was making himself out to be God. You see, hearing Jesus' words and believing the Father are identical. And then the results are absolutely precious and important and critical. Because if you hear his words... And if you understand that the Father sent him, the first thing, the first result is that now you are one who is said to have eternal life, everlasting life. Is there anything that you brought to the equation? No, because to believe God is a gift from him. You see, we've been saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. Everybody shake your head no. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Because if you thought it was about you, guess what? You'd be prideful and boast about it. Look what I, I got, eternal life. Like I did something to get it. No, Jesus did everything in order to offer to a man and to a woman eternal life. Not only do you have eternal life if you're able to hear his words. Now, you know there's a difference between hearing and hearing? Jesus said there are people who hear and don't understand the parable of the sower. You know, they heard, but they didn't really get it. Well, Jesus said, if you hear my, if you hear my words and understand who it is who sent me, you are miraculously born of the Spirit, and therefore you hear him and believe the one who sent him. Let me say it this way. I won't don't want to complicate it, but hearing and believing are not qualifications for life. They are the results of having been given life so that now you can hear when the Spirit speaks, when Jesus says, and you know who is doing it. It's the Father who is speaking. Beloved, that is not ordinary Christian life. That is supernatural Christian experience by those who have been birthed from above by the Spirit so that they now can hear and believe the one who sent Jesus. The church in America is filled with people who have gained information about God and who do not know him. You go, oh, am I one of those? That is the question we should be asking ourselves. Am I simply religious? Am I going through the motions? Why do I bicker about this and about that in the church? Maybe it's because either we haven't known who is speaking and who sent him, or we have forgotten who we are as people who have been brought into the kingdom by the gracious working of the Father. 
based upon, solely upon, the finished work of what Jesus did on a cross. It has zero to do with me or to you. It has everything to do with who speaks and who sent. We have everlasting life. He who hears Jesus' words and believes the Father not only has everlasting life. Notice the verbiage, the, the verb. You have it. It's not something you're hoping for. When you come to Jesus to be more accurate, when you respond to the drawing of the Spirit of God and therefore throw your heart open before him, at that point in time, you now possess eternal life. That's why John and Jesus in John chapter 11 said, he who, who dies will never, he who dies will still live. That's the hope that we have, by the way, when we lose a loved one. That's the hope that we have as Christians who are born of the Spirit at the end of this life. All of us are dying. To live is to be moving toward a necessary conclusion. But for those who have heard the word of Jesus and believed in the one who sent him, there's something else working in the background, if you will, in the heart or in the spirit. And that is when this old life, physically speaking, comes to an end, out from that grave comes a whole new life. You see, that's already in us. The seeds are in us. We have everlasting life, and we shall not come into judgment. This is hard for a whole lot of Christians, by the way, because they think that God should spank us because we're not 100%. Guess what? Jesus understood that we're not 100%, and that's why he came. You say, I'm just limping toward the goal. That's what I'm doing. We're in my flesh, I'm just limping toward the goal, but guess what? Jesus is in you if you've been born of the Spirit. Chuck Colson wrote a book back in the 80s, I think it was. It was by the name Born Again. And the word, that phrase, became popular. And people would say to me, oh, you're, you're one of those born-again Christian. Well, guess what? If you read what Jesus said, there is no other kind. If you're not born again, you don't have life. That's how John chapter 3 ends. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son has not even seen life. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You see, it's about time that God is awakening his church. Those who claim to know Jesus, God is beginning to pour out his spirit and shake the carnality out of us to sift us to understand what we really know and what we don't know. Thirdly, we've passed out of life into death. We passed, I'm sorry, out of death into life. We have everlasting life. We will not come into judgment. Jesus already judged us. I've been judged at the cross and found wanting. It's not about works of righteousness which you and I have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, 
You see, when the people of God come to the place of understanding, it's not about us. It's not about how good I am. Jesus doesn't save me and then say, get after it now. You do it in your own strength. And that's what most Christians are doing. They're trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. And Jesus couldn't do it. Why would he ask us to do it? Jesus could do nothing except what he saw the Father doing and what he heard the Father saying. That's the same way it is for you and for me. John 5, chapter 20, verse 25. We just read 24. Most assuredly, I say, he who hears my word and believes has eternal life, shall not come into judgment, and passed out of death into life. Verse 25 says this. Here's the phrase again. Most assuredly. You can take it to the bank. Amen, amen. Truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, this is a little complicated because there are two senses in this short passage that I'm going to look at with you about death. This one, I believe, has to do with spiritual death. And Jesus was saying here, if you're filling in your blanks, the dead will actually hear the voice of the Son of God. You see, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk. But he, Jesus, made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven you all of your trespasses. You see, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And at some point in time, you heard, that's where we started, verse 24, you heard the voice of Jesus. It happened a thousand different ways, but the voice of Jesus spoke to you in your deadness. And said, I love you. Come follow me. Come on into the family. I have a raging party going on. I want you to be a part of it. I've got a new family. I want you to understand who they are. You see, that's what Jesus does. The t Jesus is saying here is that the dead, were there any dead people here? Two of us? Four of us? Eight of us? The percentage is going up. You see, the point is, if you do not understand that you are dead, you cannot go with Jesus through his crucifixion, through his death, through his resurrection, ascension, and receive the fullness of the Spirit into your life because it starts with the prerequisite of understanding that you are dead. Colossians 2.19 how about Ephesians 2, 1? And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's pretty clear. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. In their deadness, we have heard and we have responded to the gracious overture and invitation of Jesus to come Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you life. 
I will give you. You will pass out of death into life. I will judge you at the cross so that never again will you be judged related to eternity. Verse 26, Jesus says this, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. If you're filling in your outline, the Father and the Son are equal in having and granting life. Do you see why verse 18 of that chapter is the interpretive key? The Jews were mad at Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath, but they were more angry at him because he was making himself out to be God. Why was he doing that? Because he was. See, that's the whole point of chapter 5. The deity of Jesus. You see, notice the equality between the Father and the Son, the divinity of Jesus. The question is for the church today at large, who is Jesus? Some say he's a good teacher. Some say he's a great philosopher. Some say he's this and some say he's that. And Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter did all of that dance. Elijah and the prophet and somebody else. Well, who do you say that I am? Thou art the son, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus spoke to him what I'm speaking to you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, revealed that to you. And on this rock, on the rock of receiving revelation from the Father about who Jesus is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is raising up a church who understand who Jesus is, who really understand what Jesus has done and the implications for them specifically and individually. And until that happens, we are still in our deadness. The Father and the Son are equal in having and granting life. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See verse 26 here. It says that as the Father has life, life in him, so the Son, he is granted that the Son have life in him. Now that's interesting because back in chapter 1 of John, it says in him was life, and this life was the light of men. And we beheld the glory of his life and his light because that was full of grace and truth. You see, coming to see Jesus for who he is changes lives. Because as the Father has granted the Son to have life, zoe, supernatural, this substance that we don't understand because we're dead. But the Father has given life to Jesus so that Jesus can grant it to whoever he pleases. Have you received supernatural life? It's a rhetorical question. Some chose to answer it. I would say, amen. See, that's what makes us Christian. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's the life of Jesus. John 14, 9 says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. 
John 1, 4, in him was life, and this life was the light of men. How about John 3, 36? I've already quoted that. He who has the Son has life. It's the supernatural life of God that makes certain, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my voice and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment. He's passed out of death into, into life already. You see, this life that only Jesus can impart is what is essential to become part of the church. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's look at John 5, 27. And he has given him authority. He, the Father, has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. I told you there were two senses in which this thing of ju uh, judgment is taking place. The first one is, for the Christian, we're already judged at the cross. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Eh. Except the blood of Jesus has forgiven you, your weight. Now the, sh the scene changes just a little bit, and Jesus is talking about having authority to judge. You see, there's, there's co-laboring, um, there's co-identity co between the Father and the Son. Uh, there is um, co-authority, equal authority, and there is a time quickly approaching when the Son will judge every human being. So you see, the question is, have you already been judged on the cross and receive the life of Jesus into you, your sin goes to Jesus. And God then credits to your account the righteousness of Jesus. He gets your sin, you get his righteousness. That's what makes you part of the church. That's why Paul can call a, a weak congregation like the Corinthians saints. Were they saintly in their flesh? No. But they were saints because Jesus had taken their sin upon himself and placed his righteousness into their crediting their account. And now they are saints of God, though in their flesh they still limp and fall and fail. The son has the father's authority to judge. That's number four. The time is approaching when the Son will judge all human beings. Let's finish with these 28 and 29 of chapter 5. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, everybody say all, all. Does that exclude anybody? No. <laughs> you see, the time will come when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. And come forth. Those who have done good, now let me unpack this a little bit, will come forth to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, number five on your outline, the one day all who are in the graves will hear the voice, will hear his voice, and be raised. Now, 
those, remember where we started in verse 24? Uh, hearing Jesus' word and believing the Father sent him because they are identical. Now, the time will come when those who are in the grave, Christians who have departed this life, their bodies will be in the grave. Their spirit is in the presence of Jesus. Now, there have been men and women who have worked out all of these end things meticulously. And it's simply, in my opinion, the ideas of men. Doesn't mean they aren't right. Doesn't mean they are right. But what I do know is what the word says is that all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Now, who are those who have done good? Go back to verse 24. The interpretive key, Jesus was making himself equal to God. And Jesus was saying, if you hear my voice and believe in the one who has sent me, you have everlasting life. Now, here's what's happening in verse 29. The people who, are, who have done good, that sounds like a bunch of do-gooders, don't it? That, that, doesn't that sound like uh, works righteousness? No, it isn't. Because those who have heard his voice and have believed the one who have sent him, the Father, they are the ones who then in turn, out of their new life and new birth, give themselves to doing and obeying the voice of Jesus. They do good. Doesn't mean they never blow it, by the way, parenthetically. But it means they have heard, they understand who Jesus is, they understand who sent him, the Father, they understand where Jesus is now living by his Spirit, and that then motivates them to do certain things. You see, created from the foundation of the earth to do what Jesus has called us to do. Ephesians 8, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. How's the next verse go? Does anybody remember? Say it again. Created in Jesus to do good works. The people that are doing good here in John 5, 29 are those people who have heard those people who have believed, and consequently they're walking in what the Father has de destined them to walk in from the foundation of the earth. You see, these are people who know Jesus, and because of that, they're following Jesus and obeying his voice. Consequently, and contrasted to that, those who have not heard or just heard about him have information about Jesus, but they don't understand who Jesus is, those who have not heard and or who have resisted the Spirit and not believed, those are the ones that do evil. You see, Jesus did say something like, by their fruits you shall know them. What are their fruits? It's what you do. What you do really matters because it declares who you really are. And Jesus is calling men and women into his presence to surrender their lives, to bow before his lordship. 
You see, what does all of this mean in John chapter 5? It means that God from, out, from all eternity has come in the person of Jesus and is calling men and women right now to himself. And you have then the, the unique responsibility and privilege of simply surrendering to his call upon your life. Or you can simply put the skids on and refuse to hear him and refuse to believe him. And on that day, you will still hear him anyway. The time is coming, we just read, when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have heard and believed and did good to the resurrection of life and those who have not heard, not believed, will also come forth to the resurrection of condemnation. Beloved, I don't want to stand in the shoes of someone who hasn't heard with their heart and believed that the Father sent Jesus on that day, passing into eternity, and all of a sudden hearing the voice of the Son of God. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians, I think it is chapter 2? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, the time will come when every person in the grave will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who knew him and did life the way he wants them to will come forth into the resurrection of life and those who did not to the resurrection of condemnation. Which then, I got room for one more verse here. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says this. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his or her body according to what he has done, whether good or whether bad. There's been a lot written on this text saying, you know, the Bema seat, the, the, this... Um, this judgment seat, this bema seat, is really about a Christian receiving their rewards. And I think it is, but there's another group of people there as well. You say, no, 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 that's saved for the great white throne of uh, Revelation chapter, whatever it is, uh, 20 or 19. If you read Revelation 19, 20, and 21, it's not just the great white throne of the Father. There's also somebody else there. He's called the Lamb. He's called the Word. You see, it, Jesus is there as well. And what I think in 2 Corinthians 5.10 is that um, all of us will stand before Christ and each of us will receive based upon what we have done in our body, whether good or whether evil. And there are people who will be there who will evidently have done evil because they haven't heard with their hearts or they haven't believed with their, with their spirit, and they're still in their sin. You see that where this ends then in Acts 17, 31, says he has appointed a day on which he, Jesus, will judge the world in righteousness. That is, he, the Father, will judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given him assurance 
of this very thing by raising him from the dead. The death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, and the pouring out of the Spirit from both the Father and the Son on the church is not uh, a nice thing if you'd like to do it. It's essential to be part of the kingdom. Now, I can't say to you that if you surrender your life, meaning if you come forward and kneel, that you're automatically in. I, I can't say that if you invite Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. I can't say that if you, you simply invite Jesus in, then, then that has happened. What I can say is that the Spirit, the wind moves where it wills, John said. And you can hear the sound of it, Jesus said in John 3. But you cannot tell where it's going or where it's coming from. So it is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Whatever it takes to respond to the voice of Jesus is what you have to do. Jesus did nothing except what he heard the Father saying. If Jesus says, give all your money away to the poor, you probably ought to do that. If Jesus said, don't worry about anybody else, I want you simply to go up front and get on your face. If that's what he wants for you, I would hope all I would hear is, you see, here's the point, and it's singular. He who hears my voice and believes in the one who has sent me has everlasting life. And you will not come into judgment, but you've passed out of death into life. Beloved, I wish I could always say with certainty, most certainly, amen, amen. If you do this, then you will get Jesus. But I can't because I'm not God. But I believe there are people here today who may need to go back and reassess whether you've really heard and whether you've really believed and whether you really have because the fruit of your life is demonstrating who you really are. Let's pray together. We ask our worship team to come. and Lord, I don't even know how to conclude Thank you, this time. But I know more than anything else that the kingdom is not about me. It's not about us and what we do. It really is about you. Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, would you grace us today with the ability to hear with the ears of the Spirit. To believe that you, Father, have sent this Jesus and that he is fully God 
and at the very same time, fully man. And yet Jesus surrendered the fullness of his humanity to the Father. And likewise, the Father surrendered the fullness of his deity to the Son. God, I pray today that you would be calling men and women by the working of your spirit to yourself. Father, forgive us where we've made it. Well, just about ourselves. It's really about you. Thank you for the gift of life. I sense that as we end with this song, that the Lord may just simply want to open this altar. Now, you might be here and you might be totally secure in who you are, and that's fine. Bless Jesus that you are. But if you're not, as we sing this concluding song, and if you want to come and offer something back to Jesus, you decide what that is. No, more importantly, you let him decide what that is. But I'm simply going to invite you to come and offer your life afresh.